Putting Humans on Mars. I'm Tanya Hall, and joining me is Dr. Robert Zubrin, author, president of Pioneer Astronautics, and co-founder and president of the Mars Society. Welcome, Dr. Zubrin. Thanks for inviting me. Of course. Tell us a little bit about your background, your books, and explain the mission of Mars Society. Okay. Well, you know, I've been into uh, space exploration since Sputnik. I was five when Sputnik flew, and while the adults may have been terrified, I was exhilarated because it meant the stories I was already reading at that time about space travel were going to be true. Um, and, uh, okay, I'm an astronautical engineer, and uh, I've written a number of books, including uh, The Case for Mars, which explains how we can get to Mars in our time, and The Case for Space, which is a more recent book, which talks about the implications of the current entrepreneurial spaceflight revolution being spearheaded by uh, SpaceX, among others, um, and uh, founder of the Mars Society, which is an organization which is fighting to help get humans to Mars through both public and private means. Let's discuss why Mars is the right place to start a new branch of human civilization, especially as compared to the moon. Start with the chemistry of the two worlds, if you will. Well, Mars is the closest planet that has all the materials needed for life and therefore technological civilization. Uh, it's got copious water. There's glaciers on Mars as far south as uh, 38 degrees north, which is the same latitude as San Francisco. Glaciers of pure water ice with as much water as the Great Lakes. In contrast, on, on the moon, uh, water is present only in parts per million quantities, except in some permanently shadowed and very, very, very cold craters near the pole. Mars has got a carbon dioxide atmosphere, so there's carbon. That's key for life. It is the element that enables life and also fuels and plastics and um, innumerable chemical processes, um, it's absent on the moon. Um, so there you have hydrogen, oxygen, carbon. There's nitrogen on Mars. There's no nitrogen on the moon. Um, so those are the four elements of life. And then if you talk about the other secondary elements of life important for industry, which include phosphorus and sulfur and uh, so forth, they're all present on Mars. In fact, all the elements that we commonly use on Earth are present on Mars, whereas about half of them are missing on the moon. Um, so that's a tremendous advantage. There's also, Mars has got a 24-hour day, pretty much the same as the Earth, whereas the moon, it's two weeks of light, two weeks of dark. It's much tougher to deal with that. Um, the uh, uh, Mars is cold, uh, and it's colder, uh, you know, you can get down to minus 90 at night, uh, but so can the moon but it only gets up to about, uh, um, say, 70 Fahrenheit um, during the day, whereas the moon can go to you know, 180 Fahrenheit, and that's bad. Uh, okay, and so um, you know, the Martian atmosphere, as thin as it is, is thick enough to uh, uh, eliminate micrometeorites, which is a hazard on the moon. Um, it's uh, thick enough to mask out solar flares, um, the, uh, which is very important. Um, the, Mars has got a complex geological history, which has helped create mineral ores, which concentrate valuable elements, uh, which the moon has not had. And Mars is much more scientifically interesting than the moon, because Mars could have evolved life. It's the key to letting us know uh, whether we're alone in the universe or we're living in a universe filled with life. 
So, okay, then how would the first Mars colonization missions unfold? What's the sequence of events and how long would someone be away from Earth? Okay, well, look, the key to exploring Mars is to make use of the materials that are there. The same things that make Mars interesting also make it attainable. We have to follow the pioneer philosophy, travel light, live off the land. So if you don't do that, then most of what you're sending into Mars is going to be the fuel to come home, okay? And it will greatly increase the cost and complexity of the mission. But, you know, carbon dioxide, water, that's the raw materials for making fuel and oxygen, uh, which is exactly what you need. And so uh, my plan, which is known as the Mars Direct Plan, and whose central ideas have been embraced, for example, by Elon Musk and SpaceX, is to make the return propellant on Mars. Now, the way I would do it is I would send the return ship out first with no one in it and have it make its propellant automatically out of the Martian atmosphere and, and Martian water. And then once that is done, then send the next ship with the people. They, they, that, they will live in that ship on the way to Mars and on Mars, but they'll take the other ship home. Um, and so you'll always have a ship on Mars that's fueled up before you go. Um, of course, you could send several ships one way to Mars and have more accommodations on the surface. But this is the way you, you should do a Mars mission. You, these plans with gigantic ships with all the propellant to go there and back, landing small landing craft and staying for a few weeks on the surface, these make no sense. They, they cost much more, they accomplish much less. What are some of the human biological and psychological factors that'll have to be addressed uh, to make these kinds of trips? Well, look, um, it's more challenging than our daily lives to go to Mars, but actually not more challenging than any number of things that uh, the brave people have done in the past. It's six months to travel to Mars one way, um, that's how long it took to sail from England to Australia in the 1800s. Um, so hundreds of thousands of people, fairly ordinary people, uh, did that uh, successfully without cracking. Uh, then you're on Mars for a year and a half and then six months back. So it's two and a half years uh, round trip. And Frank and her family were in an attic for two and a half years with Nazis running around on the outside. That's a much more uh, 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 terrifying situation than what I'm discussing. And furthermore, they were being hunted. The Mars crew is, is living with the cheers of the earth and all the help of mission control and the whole world scientific and technical community there to, to, to be at their assistance. Uh, so yeah, it's tougher than, you know, what you and I deal with every day with our nice hot showers in the morning and whatever you want to eat for breakfast. And, you know, um, but compared to what, what, um, explorers and soldiers and sailors and uh, refugees uh, have, have handled in the past. It's uh, not that bad. So I don't think the human psyche is going to be the weak link in the Mars chain. I think it's going to be the strongest link. Dr. Robert Zubrin, author, president of Pioneer Astronautics and co-founder and president of the Mars Society. You talk in great detail how we can accomplish these things. And uh, if somebody wants to connect with you, uh, Robert, what's the best way they can do that? Well, first of all, if they want to know more about what I have to say, I've got two books uh, that I think they might want to look up. One's called The Case for Mars. The other's called The Case for Space. They're both available on Amazon. 
I also um, lead a nonprofit called the Mars Society. People can find out about it at going to marssociety.org. In October, we're having an international teleconvention. People are going to be attending and speaking from all over the world. It's free, so you can sign up for that. Thanks again for your time, Dr. Zubrin. Thanks for inviting me. And you can find more of my interviews right here or at tanyahall.net. Thanks for watching.